We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. It occurred to me that uh, I love you guys. I really do. Yeah. Just love hearing you sing, love hearing you worship, love being a part of this family. Um, let's look at 1 Timothy 3 together. First Timothy 3, beginning in verse 8, Paul says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives or women likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for your word, for the power of it. We thank you that in your word you provide for us knowledge about your will, knowledge about how we ought to live our lives. God, you help us as a church to understand how it is that you have created certain roles within your church that it might best function And so, Father, we pray that as we look at this text together this morning, that it would be edifying to your church. And specifically, as we think about those who stand and serve in our church, that are models of of servanthood, our deacons, Lord, we pray that this would be a message that encourages their hearts, that strengthens them, that empowers them to do the work of ministry that you've called them to do. And Father, may all of us, as we watch them become better servants, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, when we look at this text, there is a difference between qualities and qualifications. I think that the, uh, the title of this section in the ESV is Qualifications deacons, But I think that there's a difference, maybe it's just a nuance, but I think it's an important difference to point out between the difference between qualities and qualifications. You just look at the the dictionary, qualification uh, is defined in these terms, an accomplishment that fits a person for some function, a circumstance or condition required by law or custom for getting, having, or exercising a right or holding an office. A quality is a little bit different. 
Equality is an essential or distinctive characteristic, property, or attribute. Qualifications sound a lot like requirements, like a resume that you might have, um, a checklist of occupational achievements that you have. Uh, you know, I look at the, the text and, well, I'm above reproach. Check. Holy man, right? I got that one. The reality is that's not really perfectly true about anyone, even pastors or deacons. No believer is going to be perfect in this life, and so everything that we do, everything that we strive for, is all in the grace of God as He uses broken people to accomplish His will. I mean, for years, we've tried to hold uh, pastors or deacons, we've put them up on pedestals only to see them topple off because all people are broken. There's a big difference between qualities and qualifications. The traits that Paul is outlining here in this particular text are so very important for the church. They, they show us the kind of character that the church should recognize and affirm as someone is called to be a model of servanthood in the church. It's important to recognize the difference between those things which we can achieve and those things God is empowering through His grace to bear fruit in our lives. And so we as a church observe and we recognize and we affirm the work of God. So when we think about this service, what is a deacon? What is a deacon? The word deacon simply means servant. In fact, the, the word literally means something like through the dirt, the dirty one. There's a lot of Southern Baptist pastors that would say amen, but not this Southern Baptist pastor. I've had the wonderful joy over the last almost 10 years of working with a, a collection of members that love Jesus, that love one another, that support their pastor, and so, this concept of deacon as a servant, one who does the dirty work, doesn't sound foreign to me. And we look at the terms related in the New Testament, the word to serve is a derivative of the word deacon. Or the act of serving is another derivative of the word deacon. And it occurs over a hundred times in the New Testament. And when we look back at the scriptures, most people assert that the, the beginning of the deacon ministry takes place in Acts chapter 6. We see this in Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. It says that now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, or the Greeks, arose against the Hebrews, the Jewish folks, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, talking about this, the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said... It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so these men were chosen because of those qualities that they exuded in their lives to do the work of ministry, of service. 
And it begins, even as we look at this text, with this concept of, of menial tasks, even serving or, or handing out, really handing out food to those who were in great need. But then it gradually it broadens into what we eventually find, this kind of, this kind of role that is within the church to this day. The role of the deacon, along with the pastor, was the idea of, of helping to equip the saints for ministry. As we work together, and I've said that for so many years as we meet together regularly, once a month in our deacon meetings, is what we're doing, we're partnering together in ministry to serve the body of Christ that he's placed us within. Elders or overseers or pastors or whatever you want to call that role has been given the responsibility to teach God's word, to preach God's word, and deacons have been called and given the responsibility to implement what the, the overseer, the, the pastor is teaching. Deacons are to, to encourage the congregation. Encourage the congregation by being a model of servanthood. Encourage the congregation to be faithful to God's word and to live out God's word. Uh, to, to encourage the congregation to, to be active in loving other people more than they love themselves and to, to show that there is a genuineness in their service toward the lost and a genuine service toward those who are saved. Deacons are called, like elders, to willingly deny themselves, to die for the sake of the body. There's a story about a ship called the Birkenhead and this ship in 1852 was going around the coast of Africa and it ran into a rock out in the middle of the, the sea. And aboard the ship there were 12 lancers and several other regiments of soldiers and there was also 124 women and children on board the ship. And so immediately the women and the children were taken and put, in, put into the lifeboats and then moved away from the ship. And the truth is, there was no one else that could fit in these lifeboats, only the women and children. And so the commander called everyone to attention, placed them in formation on the decks of the ship, and they could hear the voice of Major Seton as he said, stand still and die like Englishmen. There was no murmuring. There was no complaining. There was no crying. And those 454 men went to their grave with an incredible display of courage and self-denial. This is the kind of tenacity that men and women who serve as ministers of God in the church, whether they're elders or they're deacons, this is the kind of tenacity they ought to have to serve. Because we stand still. We stand still oftentimes when we get unwelcome emails questioning our motives as a minister or questioning our morals. We stand still when there's allegations that are made against us. We stand still when, when we hear that there's gossip being whispered against us. And in the faithfulness of God and for the betterment of the church, we stand right there where sometimes it's very difficult to stand. And we give of our time. We give of our energy. And we give until it hurts. We stand still and die to our own wants. 
to our own dreams, to our own needs, so that others in the church might be made stronger. Being a deacon is a very serious commitment. It's an important role given by God to the church. But as we look at this text, there's always something that we have to address and look, look at and think about. There's a question that we have to ask. We think about the role of deacon is the ministry of deacon only reserved for men? Or can women also serve as deacons? I believe as we look at this text and other texts, and even as we display in the way that our congregation functions, I believe that both men and women can serve in this servant role. I look to John MacArthur, one pastor out in California, as he explains some of the uh, the nuances of this text, he, he gives us four hints that, that Paul is referring to women who serve as deacons, even in this particular text that seems to be controversial. The first thing he says is that, they, that Paul uses the term likewise. He uses this in verse 9 in chapter 2, verse 8 in chapter 3, and then also in chapter 2 of Titus. But uh, it seems as though he's arguing for a third group of individuals, in addition to elders that we see, and in addition to Male deacons. Second, Paul doesn't use any kind of possessive pronoun here or definite article in connecting these women with deacons. It says in the ESV, I think is poorly translated, their wives, but there's no possessive here. There's no definite article. In fact, the word is just gune. It is women that he uses. Then fourth, or excuse me, third, Paul and just the previous section gives no qualifications for the elder's wife. And I find that interesting. As though Paul doesn't care about the overseer's wife and how much maybe even more important that, that role might be in the teaching and leading and, and oversight of the church. He gives no directives about the overseer or the pastor's wives, and this seems to be problematic. But then fourth, Paul did not use the word deaconess. And why did he not use the word deaconess? Because the word deaconess did not exist. At the time, we see Phoebe, who in chapter 16 of Romans, verse 1, is called a deacon. We look at this, this passage. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, and the ESV says, a servant of the church. No, no. It just says, a deacon of the church. It's in Crea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever way she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. There is great benefits to having servants who model what real servanthood looks like in the church who are both male and female. We see that even as a blessing in our own congregation. So, we want to continue to jump into that, but let's talk about the most important thing that we're talking about today, and that is the qualities of a deacon. What are the qualities of a deacon. The first thing I want to mention is a deacon's personal character. A deacon's personal character. We see Paul begin to explain to Timothy what a deacon ought to look like, the qualities, the, the characteristics, the traits that ought to be exemplified in their life. And he says, first of all, that a deacon, deacon must be dignified. Dignified. And we translate this as dignified. Later on in verse 11, it's translated as dignity. But, but what he's getting is that all deacons need to be living lives that are upright. 
Even as he talked about earlier with overseers that they ought to be above reproach, he's saying something very similar about deacons. That they ought to be people who are living holy lives. That they ought to be models of spiritual devotion. A deacon should be an honorable person. A person with a serious mind, with, with serious character. So that when, when those, are, uh, those around them are looking to them, they look at them and they think of, uh, of one who can be respected because of their devotion to Christ, because of their devotion to His church. So a deacon ought not be silly or flippant in regards to the things of God, the, the eternal consequence of the gospel and the truth of God's Word, but it ought to be something that is very much important to them. Next we see that a deacon ought to be honest. He says that a deacon ought not have a double a double tongue, which is a little bit of a weird idiomatic phrase. And he goes on later on when he's talking about the women, he says that they ought not be slanderers. What is he talking about with this double tongue business? Or, or maybe with our own kind of phrase, not, not to speak out of both sides of your mouth, that kind of Maybe it refers to something like gossip but, but, or one who lies about things. But I think probably the best way to understand this is Paul is saying that, that uh, you can't say one thing to one person and another thing to another person for your own advantage. You have to have integrity. And so many times in the church, elders or overseers or pastors, I just need to choose one, pastors, pastors and deacons, Know intimate things about people in the congregation. We have knowledge that other people do not have. We know of troubled marriages. We know of children that are walking away from the faith. We know of patterns of sin. We know of very deep struggles. And so we need to speak with integrity. We need to hold things in confidence. We have to place a priority upon honesty and integrity because as spiritual leaders, that is absolutely important. When we begin to tell different stories to different people, we lose that trust. And women, just as much as men, ought to speak with truth and with honesty. And so he mentions this even at the very end there. So we have to be honest. Next, a deacon ought to be self-controlled. We see this, he, he says these words, not addicted to much wine. It's always as funny, is it okay to be addicted to some wine? It's not clear, Paul, I'm not sure what you're getting at. What does he mean by this? Everybody drank wine in that period. The safest kind of fluid that you could drink. He's talking about one who has an addicted personality. Same quality is mentioned of overseers talking about self-control in verse 2. And deacons here in verse 8, he's saying they ought not be given too much wine or addicted to much wine. What, what's he getting at? Is it really about the wine? All deacons ought to be sober and sensible in their judgments. And that's impossible if you're drunk. That's impossible if you're addicted. The aim of this is not so much on whether you're a teetotaler or not, or you believe that there's liberty in Christ and you can have a drink on occasion if you want. The, the point of all of this is temperance, moderation, 
Not being controlled by something that is not God. The issue is that a deacon should not be enslaved to any kind of addiction, whether that is prescription drugs or Jack Daniels. A model of servanthood should not find respite from the world in the things that are not God, whether that is golf, whether that is Sam Adams, or whether that is Longmire. It doesn't matter. We are all called to be controlled. Next, he says that a deacon ought to be trustworthy. He says, not greedy for dishonest gain. Now, in the New Testament, those who served, oftentimes, especially we looked at that passage in Acts chapter 6, it involved the distribution of money, the distribution of food to widows, to orphans, and to other people that were in need. Now, at the time, there wasn't really banking systems or, or audit firms. Those things did not exist. And so every transaction that took place had to be done with cash, kind of, coinage, coinage cash. But they handled money on a regular basis in order to take care of the needs of the people. And the temptation was always present for them to steal from those funds. Just as we see in the New Testament, Judas did. He was the one that carried the money purse. And so whenever there was an expenditure, he was questioning whether or not it was right to do so. Why? Because the gospel writers tell us that he was dipping into it for himself. It was essential then that deacons be free from the love of money so that they might care for the church in a way that is most helpful. Jesus said to his disciples, he said that no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In verse 11, speaking to the women deacons, he says, like male deacons, they are to be also faithful in all things. They ought to exude trustworthiness. This is the parallel for the not greedy for dishonest gain. So these are the personal characteristics of a deacon. Next, I want you to notice a deacon's spiritual life. Paul also says that deacons ought to be, he says, holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And the word mystery refers to something that was once hidden but now has been revealed. It's no longer a mystery. Now it's, now it's apparent. Now it's obvious as we, we understand from the scriptures. And the mystery of faith in the New Testament is really the, the revelation of the redemptive plan of God in Jesus Christ. It's the mystery that has been revealed through the incarnation that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. It's the mystery of the indwelling of Christ in believers. The unity of, of the Jews and the Gentiles, the coming together of one new man now in Christ, and of that saving gospel. And so the, the, the deacon's character has to begin with an affirmation of this truth. They hold on to the mystery of faith. The deacon holds the mystery of the faith actively. This is what that word, when you parse it out, it's It's active. It's this continual, ongoing grasping of God's truth, holding on to it for dear life, never letting go of it. And it says he must hold on to it with a clear conscience. That is, a conscience that does not accuse him. It's not just enough, even as, as Reuben said just a moment ago, just to believe. 
But there's that activation. When we believe, when we truly believe, we begin to see change take place in our lives. A difference. The stronger we begin to understand theology and, and understanding of the Bible, the stronger your conscience should become. The conviction of your heart. And so every deacon, and I would say every Christian, should strive to be able to say, along with Paul, what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. We live in a way that we are spiritually faithful. Next, we see a deacon's spiritual service. And Paul gives us a specific prerequisite. In verse 10, look what he says. He says, and let them also be tested first and, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. This is so important. This is the reason we don't just haphazardly ordain people to the deacon ministry or haphazardly ordain people to the gospel ministry as pastors or overseers. Before the church affirms someone as a deacon, they ought to be a model of servanthood. They ought to be serving. We, we ought to be able to look and see this person is serving. Ordaining somebody that's not serving in hopes that they will serve is silly. That's not the point. The point is that we observe within the church what God is doing and how God is using people and the gifting of God upon people's lives. And as we see the qualities of deacon, as a church, we come together, we affirm those qualities in ordination. This is what Paul is saying here. Deacons ought to be a model of service. It's an ongoing test. It's not a probationary period, but it's an observation before we declare an affirmation about what is God calling that person to do. And he says, then let them serve as deacons. A pastor by the name of Alan Redpath once told a story about a lady who had a motto over her kitchen sink, and that motto read in this way. It said, divine service is conducted three times daily. The sink's not a glorious place. And I promise you, Reuben, but also all of you who serve as deacons at Jefferson Town Baptist Church. And those of you who have served for a very long time, you know that the glory is not in the deacon ministry. Because you end up doing the things that no one notices. You do the things that nobody sees. You do the thing that nobody claps for. You do the thing that nobody slaps you on the back and says, good job, we're so happy that you did that. You do the things in the background. But my friends, God sees. God sees your work. God knows. And no matter if you're washing dishes or cleaning up or taking people home or doing whatever it is that God is using you in this church to do as a servant, as a model servant, divine service happens daily in the hard things. We see this in a disciple's service and then we also see a deacon's faithfulness. We see this verse that there's always been a little bit of confusion about. It says, let deacons each be the husband of one wife. 
Now this is something that Paul said also about pastors and the qualifications or the qualities of, of pastors. Deacons too must be husbands of only one wife. Now there's always this confusion about this phrase. What is Paul referring to? Is he referring to divorce? Is he, is he referring to polygamy? Is he referring to polyamorous relationships? Is he, is he referring to adultery? Well, the answer is yes. Yes. He's referring to all of those kinds of things. He's talking about faithfulness to the covenantal bond. He's saying this person ought to be faithful in their marriage relationship. They ought to be faithful to their spouse in their deeds and with their hearts. And so with elders, the issue is moral character, not marital status. Is the person faithful? Is the person fulfilling their promise? Is the person doing what it is that they've pledged to God that they're going to do? Paul's focus here is on faithfulness. A deacon should be faithful. And lastly, we see a deacon's home life. Deacons like elders must prove their leadership abilities in the home. Their service even to those whom they love at home. Paul is not so concerned about whether the house runs like a tight ship with like whistles and things like that, like in The Sound of Music. He doesn't really care so much about The Sound of Music, Paul. The issue is about the ongoing intentional discipleship of the family. Is the management of the children involved in bringing that offspring to faith in Christ, discipling them? Faithfully in your marriage, discipling your wife. They're to be good managers of their children and, and their money, the things that they have. In the same way that Paul said, if an elder can't, can't manage his own household, how in the world is he going to manage the house of God? This is similar for deacons. As you're being shown as this model of service and what God is calling you to do, it's important that your life reflect a life that even, as Reuben said just a moment ago, reflects one who is submiss submissive to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Whether it's in family relationships or in the way that you choose to use your money. Your service to Christ and to his church as a deacon, it truly matters. Why does it matter? It's all about perspective, isn't it? Paul helps us understand the urgency and the value of our service and ministry. Whether we are pastors or deacons, whether we are laity, we are all saints of God. We are all priests of God, called to the work of ministry together. We serve in different ways. Not everyone's an eyeball and not everyone's an elbow, but we serve together in so many different ways in the body of Christ. And for this reason, this is what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, 
Let us not sleep as others do. Let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. So serving means being aware of your surroundings. Serving means that you're encouraging the church to be faithful to its calling. Serving means you're helping to equip the saints for ministry. Serving means guarding men and women in the faith so that they might rest in Jesus Christ, so that they might live for him. And so I speak to you directly to our deacons, and specifically to Reuben. May these qualities, may they be yours, and may they endure. Let's pray.